Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of the Market Insights Podcast with me, Andrew McGregor, aka El Pavotti, FTBL on Twitter. I'm joined this week by Jay Sochic and by Ram Srinivas. Guys, want to introduce yourselves? Hi, and hi, Andy. It's uh, nice to be podding after a while, uh, especially on the day when the Championship Player Final is going to be played in a few hours. So. Come on, you Brentford. And yeah, it's been a. Nearly mastered the flag already. Yeah. I don't think there was any ever uh, danger in Ram supporting anyone but Brentford, was there really? No, it's, uh, no doubt whatsoever. It's pretty much the celebration for our model. Hello, everyone. Jay here. Um, it, is, it is a pleasure to be back. Do you know, since, we've, since we stopped podding, there has been a finish to the Premier League season. Finished the championship season. Um, it it's been some time since we've discussed football, and of course the transfer window is open, which means none of us have lives ever again. No, it's pretty much nine, ten-hour working days and messages at eleven o'clock at night to find players. So yeah, it's fun times for everyone. But you know, we'll, we plod on, and we thought we get you know because it is our time of the year. As they say, it's like Christmas market insights, the transfer window. So we thought we'd do a mailbag mailbag session. So I've got a couple of I've got a few questions from listeners. I'm just going to do the usual. I'll read them out. You guys give your answer, and then I'll. I'll curtail it with my answer, and that's what we'll do this week. All right, so the first question this week, guys, are you ready for this? If you are Sean Dyche, of course, manager of Burnley up until now, what do you do this summer? This is from Owen Parks. I think he means, would you leave, would you stay, would you, you know, twist, basically stick or twist with Sean Dyche? I always feel like uh, leaving a job at the end of the season, going into a summer, is a really difficult time if you're not prepared to have a long break. Um there isn't going to be any Premier League jobs available, it looks like. Um, you know, nothing obvious. Obviously, you've got the relegated teams gone down, but I don't think Dyche is going to go go back to a Watford. They're obviously looking probably at a foreign manager. Um, at Bournemouth, uh, it, but there's been links today with, with I guess, more younger managers. Um, I don't think Dyche is going to walk in at a Bournemouth anyway. Why would he want to go to the you know, want to go to the Championship when he's pretty much an established Premier League manager? So I, I don't think it's the right time to leave. Um, although there might be something for said for leaving when your stock's at the highest. I think there's obviously issues there in terms of direction of, of maybe where they want to go, uh, recruitment-wise, new contracts-wise, and, and and probably the best thing for all parties, considering COVID, is if Dyche and Burnley stay together um, for another season and just try and stabilise yet again for another season. They've obviously just got their Category A academy status. Um, they've got brand new training facilities there. I'd imagine there's been a big outlay and probably not much to spend this summer um, com- comparatively to many others in the league. So they probably need to stay up again, which which Daesh, <laughs> I say this, is definitely going to come back and haunt me because they do on podcasts, but Daesh probably guarantees um, survival. And I, I think they need to you know slightly tweak it, but Daesh probably needs to have maybe one year or, or at least another six months there before a job comes up that would be at least... A, a step up or at least a sideways move where he could step up um, I, I don't see that move right now for him yeah, same same. I think I think Burnley and Sean Dyche have put themselves in this position where they will stay up pretty easily and it all depends on what the club's ambition is after that and what Sean Dyche's ambition is after that because I think the, go- the goals for him are very clear which is to keep them in the league Year on year, and probably gradually establish themselves as a, as at least a, a top top half side, and they they aren't necessarily a player trading club, so they're quite happy to buy maybe more experienced players, and they're not they're not hell bent on resale value things like that. Even though they have they have built up a couple of decent assets, so essentially the money that he gets that goes into buying players is it's not it's not like a meager amount, but it the as I as I said to you guys while we were discussing this earlier, the cost of staying up in the league probably pays itself back in that. So yeah, the main point here, I suppose, is that at the moment there is not really any reason for Sean Dykes to to go back to the championship at this point when he could potentially wait another season to see if the right Premier League job opens up or if there is some other at least sideways step that he can take at the moment if he has to leave Burnley or maybe his ambitions outgrow theirs. So 
it's uh, he's not in a position where he has to play his hand or anything at the moment. Plus, he's got COVID and the whole lot. So, yeah, if if uh, if I were him, I'd probably stay at Burnley. I think I agree with you guys. Probably ninety percent there. I think there's a ten percent thing where, you know, you look at you know certainly Alan Kerbishley at Charlton all them years ago where he sort of stayed and then he got the West Ham job and it didn't go right. Charlton obviously got relegated. You've got you know Sam Allardyce obviously left. We left. Um, Sorry, Bolton all them years ago, and you know he's done well. Sample, to be fair, didn't really work out as well as he hoped. And I think with Sean Dyche, I think he's probably worried that there's only so many years he can fight these fires and get the this hundred and ten percent out of the players. There is there is going to be one year where he doesn't. Now, obviously, they had a bit of a, a rough year when they were in the Europa League, and he took them until around Christmas that year to, to you know, get, get on a winning run, shall we say? But. I wonder if he if he's thinking himself, if, you know, is it a risk for me? Because if he gets relegated, then a lot of those mid-table jobs that he probably is in for it may go away because he's got that relegation on his record. It certainly we you know, affects people's opinion, apart from Mark Hughes for whatever reason, but certainly affects people's opinions of managers when they do go down. So I think it's Sean Dyche has to weigh it up. Obviously, as you're right in saying, there isn't any particular job out there at the moment that really you know, sings to him, I guess. I think people thought that Roy Hodgson may leave Palace. That's yet to be seen. He seems to be part of the rebuild where they're buying younger players. And I think for Dice has to consider whether he, you know where the risk to you know risk and reward really. I think I think he can keep Burnley up. He's you know been you know done above and beyond what was expected of him. But I say they are coming to the stage where they do need to freshen the squad up. And I don't think they've got the money to do so. So we probably think it's I think the, the end is coming and just maybe not this summer, as you guys say. Right, moving on then. So, next question. Which championship players do you think can make the step up to the Premier League and possibly for which teams? Now, obviously, you guys are our EFL experts within market insight, so I, I, I throw this over to you guys. How, how, how long have we got on this one? Do a couple each. This is an interesting question. It's something that Ram studies an awful lot in terms of kind of step up between league translation and what that might mean in terms of performance data or minutes played. And I think... There's certain positions that probably transfer better than others from the Championship to the Premier League. Um, I certainly think def- defenders can, and I'm not looking at data when I'm saying this, I certainly think defenders have probably got a slightly easier step up if they go to more defensive teams. So if you're a, you know, if you're a defensive, good defender in the Championship and you go to a low block or mid to low block Premier League team, you've probably been asked to do the same things. Whereas I think there's much more of a trade-off between Championship wingers and forwards um, when they go up, you look at someone like, I mean, Neil Neil Morpai's expected goals have been decent this year, um, and, and he's had a decent return. But considering the impact he had at Brentford over a couple of years, and then he goes to a team in Brighton that actually create decent amount of chances for a bottom half team and, and play possession football, which is what he's used to. But there's still a drop off, a, a huge drop off in the output, um, and I, I think that's the same for any Championship forward coming in because the game is just very different between the Championship and the Premier League. But the obvious ones really. Um, as a, as a at QPR, who's been linked with probably any bottom half team, really, it, it is an obvious one. Um, I think uh, the, the quote is QPR wants £60 million for him. If you consider what championship values have been in previous years, I think that's cheap. I really do. I, I think there's so much upside to Eze. He can play 10. I don't think he is a winger, but you could put him on the wink, you know, if you were introducing to a team. He's probably best as a number eight with, with, with midfielders behind him or aside him who can do a little bit more of the dogging and defensive work but he is an incredibly technically gifted footballer who I think will only improve at the Premier League level if he goes to the right team I really don't want him to go to a team that doesn't have the ball a lot um, his skills are on the ball and I think he needs to be in a team that goes to the ball I, I really hope that from somewhere we see someone like Leicester pick Eze up I, I just really love that that move for him Um other ones who I think really, and I know Ram will probably have similar names, so I'll just say a few and let him catch the others. An obvious one is Ollie Watkins, um, who'll be playing in the playoff final tonight. <clears throat> probably will be a, well, I say probably, might well be a Premier League player next year with Brentford um, and his, uh, his kind of compatriot there, Saeed Ben Rama. Um, I really like Watkins um, for the Premier League. He's grown on me even more in the last couple of weeks, just from a physical perspective, more than a, a goal scorer or a technical one. I think everyone's known he's had that all season, but I think we've seen different traits with his movement, playing back to goal, linking play. He can do a lot more. And I think as a Premier League striker coming in from the Championship, if your game is all about goals, you're, you're, you're going to go missing. 
Um, I think Timu Puki, I, I really like Puki. Puki did really well to get the goals that he did early on in the season. But towards the end, you could see Puki didn't really offer that much more, to be honest. Um, whereas Watkins could offer a little bit of link up, threat in behind. He can drift wide. He can he can play back to goal. A uh, couple of other names quickly. Calvin Phillips at Leeds. Really interested to see how Calvin gets on. Um, a lot of players, and this will be the interesting question long term for Calvin, a lot of players who play for Bielsa, once he leaves them or, or once they get to a certain level, probably don't improve much more. Um, thinking of your Pies and players like that. But Calvin's been morphed into this brilliant defensive midfielder who's great ball progression. He's aggressive and snappy in the tackle. So, he could be really interested in the DM spot. Um, you know, a year down the line, he might well be challenging someone like Declan Rice for the England team. I think Sheffield United and a couple of other teams have been linked with Matty Cash at right back. Um, I think Matty Cash is a Premier League right back. He's energetic. He's driven. He's probably not the best technically, but he can really drive with the ball. He's good at creating space for crosses and he gets in, in and around the box and right back as an ex-winger. I really like Anthony Robinson at Wigan. I think he's rapid, um, probably better as a left wing back than a left back in a Premier League system, but like him. Uh, and, and then a couple of other ones just quickly. Josh De Silva, uh, Brentford. I really love him. He's a number eight who can progress through lines and play. And I want to call out one lone guy, actually, who I think might be big next year, and that's Harrison Reed at Fulham, um, who's in the playoff final tonight. If Southampton do sell Hojberg, although they're slightly different in frame, I really think they've got a direct replacement in Reed. Um, he can break play up, he can disrupt it, he can sit on it and knit it together, he can play in the final third. Since the the restart, I don't think there's been many midfielders in the league better than Harrison Reed, um, and I really like him. So I hope I've not said all the names, Ram, that you want to say. You, you kind of took Josh De Silva away from me, but I, I can't blame you. I, I appreciate the fact that you haven't said Ben White or Saeed Ben Rama, so I probably won't either, because they're, like, they're probably the incredibly obvious ones. But in terms of others, I was thinking probably a couple of players that probably don't get as many mentions as they should. Don't get me wrong, they do. But they probably aren't spoken in the same sentences as the likes of Watkins and Manrama and so on and so forth. So one of them is probably someone that maybe Sheffield United might be looking to sign. And that's Dara Lanihan, who plays Blackburn. And I just feel as if it would be this. This might be specific to a couple of clubs, like maybe Sheffield United and/or Burnley. Uh, they are they are different sides. Uh, I'd not mean to lump them in the same category, playing style-wise. But in terms of recruitment strategies for teams that prefer to recruit from the Championship and ones that need reinforcements at centre back, I think someone like Lanihan has been due a step up for probably a year now. I think I think you're not going to see him become much better than he is already if he keeps playing at Blackburn Rovers. So I kind of hope he, he does make the step up in some capacity soon. And another player of similar ilk, but probably slightly younger, is uh, Ben Davies of Preston. It's He's a... Uh, He's shown up as very good on the ball for at least three seasons on the stats now, and obviously that is that is verifiable by eye as well. And he is the defensively robust one in that defensive line that they have, uh, despite the fact that they got power in from Charlton. And he's only 24. He's well, he's turning 25 um, in exactly a week, but he's probably just about to hit peak age for a centre back. He's 24 until he's 25, though, Ram, right? Yeah, he's 24 until he's 25. <laughs> but, but yeah, that's that's kind of a... It would, I'm, I'm kind of lumping these two under a more of more of an undervalued purchase kind of bracket because the ones that we've talked about until now are mostly players with, you know, in, in, the, in the 22, 23-ish sort of range. But the point is there are players in the 25, 26 kind of bracket as well that could suit a few teams in maybe the lower half or a side like Sheffield United that is basically a joker in this in this in this division because there's no telling where they'll end up. I'm and, gonna throw Yeah. On that on that note, I wanna throw one more in and I think you'll like this Ram as well, which is and I think people look at him and, and actually stereotype him. But I'd be really interested to see if anyone takes Jake Cooper this summer. Yeah. Um Jake, Jake Cooper at Millwall is an absolutely man mountain of a centre back, but 
I think people lump him in as just a head and kick it guy when when actually Millwall, especially post lockdown, they moved with a three four three or a three five two that is very Sheffield United esque in the fact the centre backs bomb on it and Jake Cooper's been flying into the box to put crosses in. Um He's a great ball progressor down the left-hand side channel. He's got a great clip down the channel, a good longer pass. He can play into the centres. Uh, and, yeah, he's not the most mobile on the ball, but definitely a, a lot of Premier League teams, I don't think, have defenders as good as Jake Cooper. Um, and I think he's getting better and better on the ball. So he's a really interesting one for he me. He is. Really interesting one. Uh, you've met, you guys have mentioned probably all, all, all the names I was going to mention. I have uh, say. And, and Matty Cash, and I, and I was going to mention uh, ben, ben Davies there, of course. He's been linked with a few Premier League clubs before. It's a good league. But in, in, just on Eze, yeah, it's a good. In terms of in terms of in terms of Eze, I was just going to focus the idea to you guys as being the more EFL savvy than me, in, in a sense. If Jack Grealish, this will go on to the next question, the next question in a minute. If Jack Grealish was to leave Aston Villa, would Eze be a good replacement? Y- yes, for Villa, no for Eze, probably. Um, in the sense that. I think so. So what we see with Grealish is when Grealish was in the Championship. For those who don't know, he he played as a number eight on the left hand side of a of a midfield three, and and basically got licensed to drop deep, get the ball as he does now, but but a little bit deeper, and actually carry it up the pitch and try and link play in the final third. Um, mm. Because Villa could in the second half of the season when they were flying, they could do that. They could dominate possession and actually afford to have Jack as a midfielder. Um, obviously, in the Premier League, they they try to solidify that and play Jack as a little bit more technically on the wing, but he obviously didn't play there. He, he cut inside a lot, but basically received the ball wide to drive inside. Eze can do that, um, and they are similar in terms of the spaces they play in, um, and I guess their, their passing model is similar. Um, I, I think that it would be an interesting move. Um, I, I wouldn't be keen for Eze because the pressure of replacing someone like a Grealish if he was to go would be massive, and, and I don't think that would be would be fair on Eze. Um to do that, but but for Villa, in terms of finding someone stylistically similar to Jack, yeah, you could absolutely understand that move. Yeah, I, I, the, the other one, I, and you, you did mention it there that I like for Eze would be Leicester. I think we struggled without Madison in terms of creating chances. I think someone like Eze to have in the squad, you know, you maybe moving others on around that position. So yeah, that'd be a good idea. That was that was from Kieran and Jennings. Thank you for that question. But this does bring me on to our next question, really, actually, in terms of Jack Grealish. So how do you all, how do we, all of us, expect the market to impact players who are in brackets too good? I don't like that phrase for their current club, but arguably are not affordable in the current market. This of Obviously pertains to Jack Grealish and Wilfred Saha. This is from Reese James. Hello, Reese. I'll, 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 take, I'll take this one. I'll take this one. This is something I. This is something I've thought about. People are often, often, obviously think you know we're always trying to move players. It's obviously exciting in the transfer window to move players. If I'm Palace though, and I'm, and and I'm Villa, the way I look at it is, is yeah, this market's a bit lower. You know, is the football take Grealish first? Who is the market for Jack Grealish? Realistically, Manchester United may have been, but they signed Bruno Fernandes, so they don't really need him anymore. And he's not a right-sided player. They obviously signed Jadon Sancho for that role. Tottenham may be in the past, but they've got Deli Ali, home and son. I, I just can't see them having the money. They took $175 million from the Bank of England as a loan because they, couldn't, they, they needed to keep the cash flow, so I don't see them being involved. I just can't see really a natural move for Jack. That would be a big step for him. Don't be wrong, I'd love him at my club, Everton, but it's just not realistic in the price they want. And for Aston Villa, that 60 or 70 million that Jack may bring in pales in comparison to the Premier League money that they get at these stops. So, realistically, much like mm. Crystal Palace have in the past, it's probably behooves them to keep hold of Jack Grealish and build the side round them, maybe. Then, if he leaves, they're in a better position. I know they haven't got a lot of money without selling Grealish, but. Even so, I think he is the type of player that can keep them in the league, and I think it, it's better for them, like it has been with Palace, to keep you know, to hold on to Grealish. With Wilfred Zaha, his big mistake was signing that new five-year deal. Obviously, give Palace leverage in any deal, which means they haven't really, they haven't sold him because they wanted seventy or eighty million. Haven't bid fifty-two million last summer, I think, and that was that really because we weren't going higher than that. But yet again, if I'm Palace, Zaha hasn't been his best this season, but still. You know, he could be the difference in keeping them up on that Premier League money. It's just more valuable for them, for them clubs to keep their players than it is to sell them for me. Yeah, I think that's that's this 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 is an interesting trend, isn't it? Um, you know, the, the the TV money now in the Premier League is is almost or was almost too much that it's created this this 
sense of atmosphere now with, with clubs to the mid to the lower half, but maybe sustainable ones or ones who've got excellent young players where what they want for those assets is, is probably too much for what they're worth in terms of value. If you, if you look across a market, is Jack Grealish the same value as Jaden Sancho, for example? That's that's debatable. You know, it's opinion. Some may say yes. I think a lot would say no. Um, but but what, what you're seeing is it, it's almost in the realm of who needs him for that much money. Uh, and especially with, with someone like Will Zaha, when you add in the age as well, you're getting, and I don't want to be ages to all, there's some excellent players out there of older ages. Um, but but for that amount of outlay, who needs the heart for that amount of outlay at 70, 80 million quid? I, I think you're into the realm of who needs them. And I think there's a couple of players on both ends of the spectrum. There's really good players at teams who are asking for a lot, probably more than they're worth. And then there's players who earn more than they're probably currently worth on performance-wise. If you look at your Mesut Ozil's, Gareth Bale's, who no one can afford. Um, and I think this market's going to accentuate that even further. And I, I, I cannot see now Jack Grealish going anywhere. I, I don't see the move for him. Um, like you say, Andy, Manchester United made a little bit of sense, but then they bought Bruno Fernandes and now they look like they're getting Sancho. OK, they don't need Jack Grealish. Arsenal do lack creativity a lot. Um, but they play a system at the minute where I don't see where Grealish fits if they keep Aubameyang um, and, and the current set of forward players that they have. Um, and obviously they've been linked with bringing Willian in. Um, so that kind of puts pay to that. You know, maybe you can use Jack as a midfielder, but in a midfield two, you don't play Jack Grealish. Um, so, you know, I don't see any others of the top five, six needing him. Um, the same for Zahar, really. I, I don't, I just don't see it at all. Um, I, I don't see anyone having that value right now. So I don't, I don't see them moving. I think with, with Zahar as well, I think this is the, this speaks to the market you discussed, the market for Mesut Ozil and, and Gareth Bale. Uh, I think because of the economic situation, teams don't want to be signing the players who are Zahar is, is age 28 this season. I think it's uh, November, he turns 28, he is 27, currently is 3.2. That's early on his age. But even <laughs> so, I don't think players want to invest big money in aging players who, you know, don't no. drop his age well, but there's always the you know, there's always that drop off at times that when they reach 30, 31, especially for pace players such as Sahar, you know, once he loses his pace, will he be as effective? He may have to change his game, who knows? But I think that's that's, that's a valid point in the fact that the market for those upper age players in terms of getting big transfer fees has probably gone away for a while because of the, because of the economic situation and clubs want to be smarter. You know, obviously stretching that money over four or five year deals, whereas you don't want to be given a five-year deal to a 28 or a 29-year-old. The other, the other thing as well, and it's not just you know from a from a resale perspective, but those guys are stepping up from from mid to lower table teams to to potentially top level teams, and I don't think they're guaranteed to start every week. Um, yeah. So, so can you really say that that outlay is good for someone who's probably not going to start every week? You know, if, if Zahar was to go for Spurs, for example, that's been mooted a lot before. Um, is he better than a Lucas Mora? Yes, in my eyes, probably yes. Um, but then, you know, Spurs have rotated those forward options quite a lot. Is he better than Stephen Bergwijn, who they just spelt, spent nearly 30 million quid on? That's debatable. Um, you know, over the long period of time, they've invested in Bergwijn. They're, they're probably going to want to keep that investment rolling on. He's probably not, he's probably as good, if not, but, you know, Son, that's quite close. He's not a centre forward, so he's not. Do you see what I mean? So that I don't think that those players are going to come from 80 million quid and, and, not be starters every week. That I, I don't see a team doing that. You have to be a guaranteed starter for that money, surely. Well, yeah, there's a pretty obvious example at my own club. Uh, you know, experienced this. They bought a player from a lower club for a lot of money, and now age thirty, they want to move him on because he's not the same player as he was. I never really rated him that much. Anymore. I know, sorry, Swansea fans and Reading fans, if you listen. And can <laughs> you name names? Are you a privilege to name names? Yes, yes. Kelsey Sigurdsson. When he signed, I think. You, he was the wrong fit anyway, but even so, he was 20, 27 at the time. And we've gave him a five year deal for, uh, you know, at 45 million pounds. And it just had, he had one decent season last season, but it just hasn't been worth the money. And, you know, it's by, by his remorse, really. And I think clubs will, will, will have that, especially in this economy. So, Ram, any further things to add? I obviously, my thoughts were the same as what you've expressed so far. I'm just wondering. It's kind of a question I wanted to pose, actually, because Ooh, it's the okay. it's the one doubt that I have in this whole equation. Someone like Jack Grealish is 24 years old, and th- there comes a time when he becomes too expensive and not a very sensible transfer, which is probably when he's like 27 years old or something, like like Gilfie Sigurdsson once was. So if 
Jack Grealish's ages 24 to 25 to 26 is when he might perform the best. How much do you think his personal ambition is going to affect or not affect a potential move? Or is, I don't know, or is he happy for Villa to just let him, let, I don't know, take hostage of him? Because I don't, I'm not sure if Jack Grealish, even though he's like Villa, bumming, bumming and born and bred and everything, if you're linked to clubs like Man United and Tottenham and basically any top six side who can play in, in Europe at some point, do you do you not want to make the move while you still can? I mean, I'd be surprised if he had that much belief in Aston Villa to say, okay, I'm sure that we can compete for a Champions League place in three years or so. So, I don't know. It, it does does that does that really factor into whether he moves or not? Is that like kind of kind of like basically what you're saying is is it kind of the whole Ronaldo to Real Madrid yeah. type thing where it's a stay one more season and we agree a gentleman's agreement we let you go. Or even Hazard to Chelsea. I mean that was a lot yeah. of money at the time. Yeah. Yeah, but you know, stay one more season. Obviously, the, the lay of the land in terms of the top teams will be a little bit clearer because it looks a little bit closed this year. Keep us up, and we'll have a gentleman's agreement. You can go for this much. I, I don't know. Right? That, that's probably a good question. That's probably what will happen. <laughs> I, I think probably this summer we've obviously the effects of COVID. Um, you know, I, I'm probably more sceptical over the effects on the transfer market than most. Most seem to have bought into this narrative. It will affect it. I'm, I'm slightly sceptical at the minute. I think clubs are rightfully or wrongfully uh, expecting fans to be back in soon and probably at the top level are not feeling the pinch at the minute. Um, that might change if the situation is obviously ever changed and fluid. But right now, I don't think, well, <laughs> to me, the spending doesn't seem to have affected much. Um, I know Liverpool didn't go in for Werner, but, you know, someone else did. <laughs> and that someone else has spent more money and then Man United is spending more money. And yeah, I, I don't, I, I just think that right now, Jack Grealish's position at his age is probably better served to, to spend one more year. Um right now that, that valuation I don't see anyone meeting it because they don't have the need to but in a year's time a club might be absolutely desperate for a creative player and he can be that guy I, I think you know, we'll, we'll move on to this question but I do think that potentially Everton you know Sands Alex will be finding you know, going up above his Arsenal form and Anthony Gordon you know becoming becoming a star this season I think they will look for left side the player who can create in that and Carlo Ancelotti's 4-4-2 and the financial situation maybe maybe not be more fluid so it might be whether people think Everton's a step up I know that's obviously I agree but I think you know, it probably is because we I think without Ancelotti and but that may be a move for Jack if there's not a top six team but maybe moved on and off looking to create support. You don't know. Things are quite changed. But I think he should spend the next season at Aston Villa. I think we're, we're probably all in agreement. But don't, like Wilfred Sahar, they commit too much of your long-term future because it doesn't give you any leverage. And I know it's not nice to say give the players all that power, but you know, at the end of the day, they've got to look out what's, what's best for themselves. Well, I will move on from that then. Okay, this is quite an interesting one. So, do you think the Brentford recruitment model, which some people understand, some people don't, will work if they go up uh, so he also adds the things still go up. Can the method be effective in more rarefied markets where they will never to be, you know, they'll never to be shopping after promotion? So will they, will their new open markets affect their model, or will they become a, you know, a league team who splashes a lot of money? Go on, Ram. No, I, I don't think so. I, I, in the sense, I see them continuing as they are, which is so. I think when we were introduced. To Southampton, way back in 2012-13, we as in people who watched the Premier League, um, they had a very interesting recruit- recruitment policy. I mean, who knows how data-driven it was, but they had some proper player trading going on there. Not only did they bring in youngsters from their academy, but they also they had a bunch of smart purchases like Sadio Mane and Virgil Van Dijk, and even I mean probably. I suppose Graziano Pella qualifies because he had good output for them and then they sent him off to China and Dusan Tadic. So I think what Southampton was back then was probably somewhere near what Brentford might become if they get promoted. But I don't know, Brentford might might have different means, but probably to the same end because Southampton at that time had 
a reasonable amount of success with their transfers and the recruitment of their manager. So I kind of see Brentford going the same way. And I feel as if Brentford might not hesitate to take a chance on someone outside the traditional top five leagues because even though they'll have the Premier League money, they still probably won't want to splurge. So they might be more open to taking a gamble on someone from Belgium or a really good player from the Netherlands in as opposed to going for the you know the tried and tested formula from the top five leagues, even though there are there are bargains to be had in those leagues as well. So I think I think Brentford are really well run from top top to bottom and they've they would have had this strategy formulating in their in their long-term plans for a while so i'm sure that they, they they'll know how to find the best value out of out of the target regions that they have so the only thing that might change when you when you're promoted from the championship to the premier league is you probably have a bigger wage budget and you probably won't sign someone like Joel Valencia, who's just broken out for one season in Poland or something. So you might have a slight upgrade in the leagues they're looking at, essentially, but it probably won't take that too much of a higher step. They'll still trust their process because they have the principles right. And I think that will see them through to an eventual Southampton-esque transition. So it won't be completely Norwich. It won't be by players who could perform just as well in the championship and haven't had a lot of playing time in pre past seasons because that was that was basically Norwich's transfer policy last summer. So I don't think it'll be that. They'll probably spend more than five million or whatever amount Norwich spent. But it'll be smart and it'll probably see them through to a better transition because they also they also come in in a much better situation squad wise. So I think yeah, I think their I think their policy and their principles are transferable. And I think that will see them through. Yeah, I agree with that, Ram. I think there's some of those we don't like that would like Norwich. Norwich had a lot of uh, kickers with in terms of promotion, and a lot of the, the team went up in wages, which obviously limited what what Norwich could do. And I think what Brentford would do smartly, as and probably Jay would have added this anyway, is I think they all calculate the odds of them staying in the Premier League. I think what going to the Premier League means for, for Brentford is that they won't have to, unlike in seasons past, sell the best players. So they will be able to retain like 99% of the squad, I'd say, for this coming season if they were in the Premier League. So then it's just adding that, you know, those adding those players, you know, value players. So as you say, instead of taking a chance on a Joe Valencia, they may go to Belgium and look at players from you know, Club Bruges, you know, for, you know, or or team, you know, teams teams of that nature and, try and sign players like that. It gives them a bit more strength in the market, really. I don't I don't expect them to go out and bid for you, Jonathan Davids against or anything no. like that. I don't, I don't think that's the plan. I think it'll be smart players, but more maybe in the ten million pound bracket. I don't think they'll sign a lot. I think they'll sign three or four at most. But I think I think they'll be smart about it, and I think. This, the, I'm sure they've had a plan for a couple of years in terms of, of what would they would do if they get into the Premier League. So I don't think I don't think this is a shock where they'd be starting. Oh, we've made through the playoffs and you know we're going to sign these players. I think they would have had two lists ready for both you know both eventualities. Really, go on, Jay. I I just I, so, so firstly, Ram, brilliant point on Southampton because that's what I wrote down. Because um, I've been through their transfers when they first come up and it, it looks exactly what a Brentford form would look like. Really, um. But I think it, it's interesting when you say the Brentford model or when the question says the Brentford model, because you've nailed it there, Andy. The Brentford model isn't just signing good players. It isn't just using data to, to sign good players. It, it, it's it's having a culture and a critical thinking driven approach that are everything they do. Um, and what I mean by that is they will calculate what they, they will know all the statistics since the start of the Premier League or they will maybe go to the last 10 years because the league has changed so much. They will know exactly what they're survival rate is on average they will completely understand what those teams performance data was who survived they will know um, for anyone who's read the numbers game that generally teams that come up um, who have a better uh, defensive record tend to survive in the Premier League more than those that come up and are more goal scoring teams case in point Norwich they came up there last year with a, a great goal scoring record but not the best defense they're expected goals against in the championship you know it wasn't the top one or top two um, and that told eventually, because defensively they, they were tore apart um, and they will understand this. Now, Brentford are, are at the minute have got a great defensive record um, and and they will understand exactly where they need to add 
to make them solid and they will understand how they need to play as well. Um, that, that's the other side of the Brentford model that no one talks about. They, they, yes, they have a manager and they have a human approach. Of course they do, but they understand exactly what performance data they need to achieve to achieve results. Um, you know, this is all part of a critical base thinking approach. You don't just take it out where you need to. You have it in every area of the club. So, yeah, I think they'll know exactly what they need to do. Um, they will also understand that, that as a championship team coming up, uh, and any team has this, you have misses in your transfers because there is some who do not translate. Even if you have the best approach in the world, you can only minimise the risk so much. Um, so, so they will understand there'll be misses. And, and I think you're right, Andy. They'll sign in key areas, but they'll also know that they're going to, you know, need, need to allow players time to, to transition. Um, but I think the model will work perfectly fine. I think the, there's a lot of teams in the Premier League that will concentrate on on British talent um, because they know it. Uh, and with COVID, they don't have to go scouting it or they don't have to go and get connections. You know, they've been watching it all year in the Championship or lower legs of the Premier League. I think Brentford will, will already have identified players that regardless of whether they're in the Championship or the Premier League, that fit them. Um, for example, the one they've been linked with, and if they do sign him, Ivan Tony, um, I think Ivan Tony can play in the Premier League. Um, not a problem for me that he's in League One. I think he's, everything that he does is absolutely fine. And I think that there is worse players in the Championship who teams will sign the, than what Ivan Tony would be in the Premier League. So that would make sense to me. Um, whether they keep or, or lose Watkins, either way, it makes complete sense. I don't think their list will be that different, is what I'm saying. I, I think they identify players based on what they bring to the team. Uh, from a data and a scouting perspective, they understand exactly what they're getting and they mould that into a team Um I don't think they worry too much about whether that's the Premier League or the Championship. I really think those lists would be quite similar. I like that you mentioned the fact that Brentford have been very good defensively. It's just, it's interesting when you look at a team like Norwich that seemed, uh, seemed to kind of dominate the league last season. But on on their underlying numbers, their expected goals against were, wasn't wasn't nearly as good as... Sheffield United or even Leeds and this I mean this year it's gotten even better so I feel as if the system in terms of the culture and identity of play that they've developed through the years into into something really clear now is kind of similar to what Wilder has going on at Sheffield United despite the fact that they have changed managers obviously Thomas Frank has come in and he's changed up a few things but in terms of, I mean, they know how they want to play. And I think a huge difference between someone some, someone like them and uh, Norwich and probably even Aston Villa is Norwich and Aston Villa had some some glaring weaknesses. Norwich had huge holes at the back, which they failed to address. And they kind of kind of banked on... They, they basically went into the season having assessed the fact that they might probably get relegated. So... Yeah, I think Brentford having established an identity, as Jay said, which also reflects in the underlying numbers, is uh, is a big advantage. Yeah, I was just going to say, there was two points, just on the back of that, you said they've got an established identity. I think that's true. And they're not built on loan players, which are, you know, Aston Villa and, and Fulham, you know, Fulham were in many cases, which obviously meant they have to spend seven, eight hundred players. Even Leeds, actually. Just yeah, well, they, yeah, that's that's another one, and obviously, it's having to try and sign some of these players. Augusta maybe not so happy about that one, but you know that that's a big key. I think you know cohesiveness. We've seen obviously with Wolves. I know they're a different animal than most teams, but that was one of a team that's just been cohesive for year and year out. We've sprinkled obviously a bit of you know a bit of extra talent in, in Jimenez, of course, but yet Neves and even Moutinho, of course. But yeah, the, you know that's 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 a that's a key part of it. And also, I just wanted to mention, I'm quite excited to see who Brentford, you know, with this reputational game going for the Premier League. Sign for the B team, I think it'll open the market for them because obviously Brentford have got a people don't know for a B team model. They did away with the youth system because um, Josh Boy and, and uh, Ian Pavilion got took off them by bigger clubs. So they decided to do a, a B team model where they develop players. I think from age 17, 18 onto the twenties. Josh De Silva was one they got from Arsenal, for example. And I think they'll be able to find players who are willing to come to them for the chance that maybe part of being the Premier League team. So I'm quite excited for that as well, actually, as a big geek that I am. So that question was from Dan Holdsworth. I think that was covered well. I'll, I'll quickly do this one because we don't want to go on forever. It's, the question was from Alex, Alex Everson, I think is a red, red fan. What do Everton need and what you know and could Pickford be moved on? I don't think Pickford will be moved on. 
I think, you know, if anyone's jumping jump after a finish, I don't think Pickford will be moved on. I think Everton could clear a weaknesses elsewhere. Pickford will probably stay for another season. I think Pickford is very overrated. Very reactionary goal. His position and his, and his anticipation is not the best. And his decision-making, you know, you know, is not is not great either. Uh, Everton need a you know a, a centre back, a left footed centre back, a right back, uh, two centre midfielders really to have a structure and a bit of, and a ball with mobility in the centre of the park and a right winger who can have dynamism and goals because it really lacks the team really lacks that. Anyone want to add anything to that one? No, uh, absolutely perfect. And if people want to read more on that, please read the Athletic article with the Market Insights recruitment strategy on Everton. Correct. If you go on the athletic search, Paddy Boyle, it, it is an athletic and, and market insights. It, it is on the athletic. Great plug, Jay. I like that. Okay, this is the next question. Uh, this is Ram. This is very really close to your heart. That this question is from Shuria Golati. I apologise if I haven't said that correctly. Um, Chelsea need a goalkeeper. Any suggestions? Ideally, on the cheap side. We won't name thousands of names here. Ram, have you had any thoughts on you know Kepa and replacing him? Uh, I think. Um... I think Kepa has. See, uh, he probably wasn't bad when we signed him, although he did have an unreasonably high release clause, as as Bilbao tend to do. That's, that's not like we didn't know anything already about the way they the way they function. But Chelsea kind of kind of got strong armed into panic buying a keeper with an insanely high release clause because of whatever reason. But the fact is that he's had like a. He's had a double whammy of, I feel as if his confidence has been shot in a similar way that Alvaro Morata's was when he arrived at Chelsea. And ultimately, kind of he, he didn't play badly, but I felt as if he just had a lot of big moments go the wrong way, and that affected him a lot mentally. I feel as if Kepa, it doesn't have to be the same character, but I feel as if the same thing has happened to him. And that has affected him and... He also does appear to have limitations of a goalkeeper for whom people would usually not pay 70 million quid. So I think the right thing to do is actively try and offload Kepa now and try and cut your losses as much as is possible. So I think that they are they are exploring that and they are also looking into a slightly cheaper alternative which is someone like probably Onana. There was a link to Kakir, the Turkish keeper from Trabzonspor, but I think that was quite dubious. But basically what I'm saying is what Chelsea might be looking to do now is it's not a given that they that they can shift Kepa out because he's probably on huge money and they need to recoup as much money for him as they can. So either your first step unless Kepa can be shifted, is to probably bring in someone in the 30-ish million region, someone who's not too expensive and can potentially start out as a number two, but will will probably displace Kepa easily if he continues that way. So we're talking about someone like Andre Onana or Predrag Radkovic, uh, someone of that level. Um, I love yeah, yeah, and I know you like him. So playing playing at a decent standard, although Onana does play in the Eredivisie, he does play in the Champions League as well. And someone who's who is uh, not not too old has enough of an upside and won't cost much. So a low risk, high reward, as you were. And then if Kepa were to be sold, then either you assess the development of this keeper next season or you go out and spend a similar amount on a clear upgrade. So if Kepa does go, basically, I'd probably want them to go in for, well, uh, ideally I'd say Dean Henderson, but I know I know it's it's not going to be not going to be very realistic. Although I wouldn't have I wouldn't have any complaints if they replaced Kepa with Jan or Black. I mean. Uh, see, I don't think any. Yeah, no, no one would. I'm just, I'm just talking in context to the names that they have been linked to, which is basically the two names that they have had the strongest links to so far, or probably um, in that high bracket region anyway, are Ter Stegen and Oblak. So if Kepa can be let go of this season, I wouldn't mind them making that upgrade because I think 
you have a lot less red flags at this point of time over those two keepers. So that would make sense. And your net, your net, your net loss on Kepa probably wouldn't be as much. But if if it were up to me personally, I'd probably hold on spending that much on a keeper, and I'd probably try to sign someone with a potentially high upside, but not costing too much money. So if it were me, I'd probably be looking for more keepers like Onana and Rajkovic and going for that type of keeper more because I'd, I think that when you buy players like Timo Werner, um, Akim Ziyech and potentially Kai Havertz and have a bunch of youngsters developing, the, it's it's not like you have a bunch of players aged 28, 29 and this is this is their peak and if you don't win it all next year, you're shot. I don't think that's the situation. I feel as if at this point next year, if things go well in 2020, 2021, you're talking about a very, very strong squad in terms of non-goalkeeper positions. So you can kind of afford to take the chance on someone like Onana or Rajkovic at this point of time and not have that much of a financial downside. So that's what I would do at this point because I think it's the more sensible option. Just quickly, I, 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 the way I look at it is Chelsea, if Chelsea had a 50% better keeper, I think a lot of the time the names that are linked with Chelsea are like Onana and uh, right, right, maybe not Reykjavik, but all black. Are they the top level, top end of the league goalkeepers? If Chelsea had, had a mid-table goalkeeper this season, you know, someone you know who was in terms of just middle of the, middle of the league performance, I think it'd be a much better side. So, because I don't think they'd be able to get rid of Kepper, and I think it would have to be a, a loan, you know, maybe to Spain. Yeah. I think you're probably a better better looking at someone who's good. Don't be wrong, but they, they they would develop into a backup. So, uh, you know, someone like Dominic Livakovic, who plays for uh, Dynamo Zagreb, who sure. plays the ball down inside. Yeah, you know, Andre Kola plays for Slavia Prague, someone like that who can, who's good, good enough, not going to be the best keeper in the league, but they're, they're going to improve the side. They're used to playing and winning things in their prospective leagues. And I think I think just that culture shift, you know, I'd say Nick Pope, but unfortunately his distribution probably does, he doesn't suit Chelsea, yeah. you know, as an example. Yeah. So, but that type of keeper who's going to be a back up as well. You know, you've seen Arsenal with Leno going out. Martinez, don't expect him to be this good, but he's been a really, really good keeper for it. And I think Chelsea benefit from having, you know, a good keeper who can come in and play, but also being a good backup as well. And I think rather than spend 40, 30, 40 million, maybe they can get that for 15, 18 million. That's the crazy thing. That's the crazy thing. I mean, just just before Jay, Jay, Jay chips in, it, the crazy thing is that Kepa has performed so badly on underlying numbers in these last two seasons that even if you put like a league average goalkeeper in there, I feel the team would probably be a lot better off. So that I think that just further strengthens the point that they don't necessarily need to go and uh, splash out a lot of money. Uh, nothing, really nothing much to add, to be honest with you. Um, Rams had his territory. That's very rare. That's very rare. Not much to add. That's quite a shock. Okay, we'll move on then. This question is probably for you, Chase, since it actually mentions you by name. Uh, one other option, by the way, Chelsea, I, I, Alphonse Ariolo, who's obviously PSG, he's on Real Madrid this season. He's not the best keeper in the world, don't be wrong, but he'd be, he'd be fine for a season, I guess. That's a loan option. I couldn't find any other better loan options than that. Okay, then. So, Jay, this question's for you. This is from Stephen Pass. He says, Jay described Norwich's recruitment as interesting this week. That's in quotation marks. Is that, quotation marks again, Newcastle signing Joe Linton as a target man? I'll say, yeah, to that. Interesting. Or Brentford interesting. And what? And also a second part of the question, what teams in Europe to when do you make sense for? Just I'll quickly read for the, for the listeners. Norwich has signed Placetta, the, the winger uh, from Poland. They've signed Bali Mumba, who's a, a young defender from Sunderland. He's signed, they've signed Daniel Sanani, a winger from Luxembourg. They've signed Seb Soto, who's a striker. He's from, they've signed him from Germany, but he's American. They've signed Lungi Sorensen, a, a midfielder from uh, Denmark. And of course, they've signed Kieran Dahl from Everton in England. Jay, take it away. <laughs> um, more Brentford interesting than target man Joe Linton interesting um, is what I would say. I think they've had a, a, an inch when I say and it is interesting. I think they've had an interesting start to the window. Um, they, they signed players early, so Sinani was agreed I think in January, um, and obviously it was announced in the summer. But they're signing players from markets where not many other people are looking at, which is interesting, uh, and no one knows what that means until we see how they transition. Um, I think Lungi Sorensen is, is interesting because Norwich don't have a player of that profile. Um, they don't have a, a ball winner who can sit 
not just sit in front of the back four, but could really disrupt opposition play. Um, I think Alex Tetty could once upon a time do that, but struggles these days. Um, and I think Tom Tribal did it when they were in the championship, but but has limitations on the ball. Um, and I think Norwich do have some systematic issues that means they could put a very good defensive midfielder in there and he might not still appear as the best. Um, but it's interesting. They're trying to plug holes that I can see. Um I think they still need some defenders um, and, I, and I'm interested in if they're buying players first to then sell the big stars later um, and maybe spend a little bit more money once they've they've got their money in from the assets like Aaron's, um, like Godfrey, maybe Lewis in there as well and, and Buendia and Campwell. So I think they've got a lot of work to do, Norwich. Um, Dow- Dowell is someone who's really interesting. They, they played Steeperman um, as a kind of number 10 or an inverted right sometimes if Gwendia was out of the team when they had a, a successful championship season. Dull kind of fits the Steeperman mould in terms of style, that quite languid, uh, quite technical, wants to connect between the lines and a, and a decent finish of range as well. Um, so he, he kind of fits the, the mould. Um, as I said, I like Lungi Sorensen. Some of the some of the guys like Sonani who, who are a little bit more, and don't forget as well, they've got Melvin City in January. He hasn't played for yeah. them yet. Um, yeah. And Melvin City is another defensive midfielder um, who will disrupt and break up opposition play. So I think it's interesting. There's going to be a big turnover, isn't there? They've got the older guys like the Tetes. Um, and I think people like Tribal who probably won't get a lot of minutes next season. And then they've got the stars that will leave um, the big assets. So there'll be a huge chunk of turnover still left to do for Norwich. But it's been an interesting start. Ram? Uh, yeah. Norwich have a very interesting task at hand. Because they have bought players who, I mean, someone like Sorensen, as Jay said, does fill a hole in their squad at the moment. But Dowell comes in, I mean, Dowell kind of does come in with a similar profile, but they have Vrancic and they have Steeperman and they have Buendia. So it kind of tells you that they do expect to sell a few players but they have brought in players that do slot into the squad right now. And I think the the difference will be made in what signings they make to reinforce their defense because they could end up losing anyone or multiple or Jamal Lewis, Max Irons, and Ben Godfrey. And at the moment, I think they've signed uh, only Sam McCallum in defense. Uh, assuming Bali Mumbai isn't just going to come in and play right back for the first team. But overall, I think they're still playing it smart. They're buying they're buying players with big upsides. Someone like Sorensen could probably physically adjust to the championship. Well, someone like Placetta has a has a clear speed advantage that could that could help him uh, adapt to life in the championship. So and and I find it interesting that they've also bought players that they 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 would have to loan out. I think they might have to loan out Soto, and I'm not sure if Melvin City immediately gets into the team or they have to loan him out still. So they're clearly so they're clearly operating with some sort of a, a much longer term vision here, where they have players out on loan and they're building assets that way as well. It's like it's like the Premier League was promotion to the Premier League was just a sort of well not not exclusively but in in some way it was a bit of a premature step and that hasn't really had them missing a beat in their long-term plan they're still recruiting the same way so overall it's it's not it's not at all Newcastle signing Joel to play a target man type of interesting it is it's it's legitimately interesting and you can tell that the signings are well thought out I think the, the well the the clutch of this whole situation is probably just who they're going to get in defense and how they might replace key key players who are also huge assets because then they have they potentially have a lot of money to work with as well so then you'd wonder if they kind of loosen up the purse strings a little more because all of these signings that they've they've had as well are still gone very very restricted money so probably probably not a single one of them exceeds more than a million and a half or so so yeah. Now, overall, overall, I think Norwich have placed themselves in a position to compete for promotion, definitely. And the signings are a good kind of interesting. It's just 
keeping hold of Daniel Farker is one thing and defensive reinforcements are the other to, to watch out for now. I think it's a bit of a reverse full really because I, we, I think they are going to sell a lot of the you know a lot of the, the assets really uh, you know I'd expect Aaron's to go um, I'd expect Wendy to go I so I'd ex- expect you know Campwell to go and expect probably Lewis to go uh, on uh, golf I don't I'm not too sure it's re- it's the right time for him to move for me you know I know Jason did lack a defensive field I thought I think he played there correct me if I'm wrong he played there for Shrewsbury on loan to AC Milan I think it's more natural I think it's more natural in defensive field he is as a centre back I think. That's just for me, anyway. I, I think that's the best position for a bit. I think you're right, Ram. You sort of stole, stole my point there, but I, I'm happy you did because it allows me to expand. And I think it's a plan rather than I don't think that you know, like some clubs come back down, like Stoke did, unfortunately, and loaded up to try and get back up, the, back up into the Premier League. I think it's a, it's a, it's a two, another two year plan. I think they're going to rebuild assets in a sense, and I think that's what the buy and play is for now. At the you know, these. In some ways, Sanani is a bit of a, you know a bit of a, a speculative buy in, in the sense that he's never played outside Luxembourg. I think he was their only prof- fully professional player in, in terms of the what he played full time. I think he, did, he obviously did well against Sevilla. I think it was in the, in the Europa League. But a lot of the signings are, you know, you know the the are wait and see types. Some of them will take time. I think Kieran Dowell. I think I know Kieran pretty well in the sense that watched him forever and watched him alone for a couple of clubs. People in the championship probably got a different view of him. I've watched him for years. He spends. He really needs if he's going to kick on in his career to not spend as much time on the periphery of games. He needs to get himself involved. He's got wonderful technique, wonderful left foot. He's one of those players right? like like Gilfie Sigurdsson has a habit of. Not do anything for eighty nine minutes and then absolutely rock it. One on the top left hand corner. And sometimes you'll forgive that, you know, when they win you the game. But there's not. It's not every week, unfortunately. And, and, and you know, you need more than that at times. But I think, yeah, I think overall, it's part of a two year plan. I think they're looking to rebuild assets. I like Longy Sorensen. I think James Wright. They do. They do miss that rat of a midfielder who's going to get down and break play up. Uh, I'm interested, as you guys say, what they do at set, you know, especially at centre back. Uh, I think McCallum was a good sign in January. I think he, a lot of Premier League clubs would have liked to like to have got him on the books to develop. But yeah, I think it's going to be interesting, and I agree with you guys. It is more Brentford interested in terms of the model rather than let's buy a six foot two man and throw him in as a target man rather than play to his strength. So definitely, just on the, there was a second part of the question on, on Wendy and where he'd go in Europe. I think possibly Valencia would look, you know, should love a little look at him to replace Ferran Torres. I don't think he's wrong. I don't think he's particularly the same level as Ferran Torres, but I think he's a creator midfield. And I think he probably would do well in Spain if he went back there. Any thoughts, guys, on that? Leeds. I, I think Leeds. Yeah, yeah I think um, that's the best move for him, I think. Yeah. Absolutely suits Bielsa's system. I, I get this whole expected goals thing with Buendia and doesn't get enough goals. I, I actually do get that. I, I think that there is some of that. Um, about uh, even if you look at his creativity, yes, he, he probably does need to add goals if he's going to be a top-level Premier League player. Um, you know uh, that everyone recognises, not just us who are in the data community, but he, the the pressure that he could bring to the Leeds team. Basically, they, what they can do is they can use rotate out between him and Pablo, can't they? Um, so Pablo's legs don't you know need to be running to the ground in the Premier League, um, and Buendia can just be mini Pablo, uh, and I think that's perfect. That's the perfect fit. Yeah, I agree with that. Ram, any 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 thoughts? I would only wholeheartedly echo Jay's thoughts that he should he should join Leeds. He's a yeah. That there's there are fewer better fits that Leeds could just pick out of the Championship like that. He it just depends on whether he'd cost too much for them, given they've spent a collective twenty million on Hendo Costa or on Jack Harrison already. But I think they've wiped the place as well. Yeah, I, th- I think Buendia is an upgrade on either of those attackers and he can play as the 10 as well so that yeah, there is there is no better place for him to go at the moment he's uh he they have, they have only loaned harrison yeah but it's with a, so they, they it's with to, an obligation to buy him for 10 million next summer uh, yeah, next yeah, summer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So they spend it. They're obviously Leeds are obviously gambling on staying yeah, up, aren't they? Because they're trying to get out of their yeah. Kevin Augustine twenty-one euro million yeah. as well. Um, so, but I, I, it depends how much Norwich value Buendia. But I don't know. I, I have this suspicion Leeds might have a bit of a go at it in the summer. Yeah, I, I, and if I they do, it's um, it. I feel as if it's a very low risk signing to sign Buendia, given he he's he's already played in the Premier League. And he's he's gotten out of the championship like them. He's he's obviously physically adjusted to this league, and as far as technical technical ability goes, he'd he'd be right up there with with Pablo 
as one of the more technical players in their squad. And he and he put, puts in the work off the ball as well. I don't think Bielsa could ask for all that much more if they sign Buendia. So they, they might probably have a go, and it would probably be worth it, to be fair. Just quick, quickly on Leeds, I, the way I, when I look at Leeds, do you think full-backs is going to be an important upgrade for them this summer? Yeah, Leeds fans might say no. <laughs> I think um, they will say no. Yeah, I think a left-back and a, you know, a, a different type of left-back and right-back. You know, I think they've got, obviously got Ailey. I, I, think, I think probably left-back is more important. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because Dallas, Dallas has been brilliant um, at times when he's played there. And, and he's an absolute ball of energy and drive. He's everything that Bielsa loves. But, you know, I do... I'm going to get shot for this. Aren't I? I do doubt his quality at Premier League level. And, I, yes. and also the fact that he has to shift onto the right foot all the time does rid them of, of some natural mm. width. Um, Barry, Barry Douglas can't live in Bielsa's system for, for, for 38 no. games. Um, he's getting fitter, but you know, I, I, I've watched enough of him to know that that's not going to happen. So I think left back. I think Ailing is perfectly fine for a first season right so back. Too. He knows exactly the way they want to play. He knows the system. He knows exactly the positions to take up. They know his strengths and weaknesses. So I, d- I don't think that's a, a priority. Okay, interesting. Right, OK. The last question, and again, probably addressed to Jay, being Blades Analytics, of course, on Twitter. There's a little, little plug for you. Uh, it just the, the face short question to the point I, I might have by Charlie. <clears throat> Realistic Blades striker. So obviously that refers to Chef United for anyone who's going to repair the Blades. I'm going to ask you two to put your thoughts forward first. It's gone wrong. I, I struggle with this, to be honest with you. Well, Ollie Oli Watkins would be my number one choice. If oh, you just stole it, Bram. Jeez. <laughs> Go on, Bram. Well, if I could get Che Adams out of Southampton somehow, then I would do that as well. No, I think they're, I think they're quite, quite feasible answers. I think they, they, they do need that pace behind Che Adams would be... Good, obviously, JB and the, the the expert man for the Chef United. You know, maybe they get Sean Bean's character from it. Saturday comes a bit of comedy for you there. But go on, <laughs> Jake. Yeah, you should just go. What a what a film! What a film! What a film! Missed his trial because he was drunk. It's a great film if anyone hasn't seen it, especially those you know people listening from abroad who listen to this. When Saturday comes with Sean Bean, very very British football film. Classic. Um. No, I, th- I think Ollie Watkins is absolutely a fair shout as a number one. And I, and I think half the, again, half the bottom of the Premier League are probably thinking that. Realistic's an interesting term because, you know, we, we don't know the budget of the club. So what is realistic? You know, is it, is it to, you know, last season we obviously spent a little bit of money for Sheffield United, um, you know, 20 million on McBurney, 20, 20, just about 20 million on Berg. So there was a little bit of money being spent. Do you think Ivan Tony would so Sheffield United? Have, He's probably the one name, Ram, yeah, apart from Watkins. I, I, I think, well, Chris, I know Chris and Alan had Tony at Northampton. They bought him for oh, yeah, um, And they will know his level. They will know exactly the, the character that he is. Character is obviously important um, to the Sheffield United dressing room. I think it's a huge step, League One to Premier League, in, in the sense of, I think Ivan could do it quite easily, by the way. Um, but I, I think it's a huge step in terms of the fan perception as well. Um, for a team that top scorer was six goals this year, um, I actually think you know McBurney got six did really well. Um, and Mooset proved at times he could be very effective, just couldn't be fit enough for the for the whole duration of the season really. Um, so the answer is probably in the room. The answer is probably can we tap into least Mooset and actually get him fit because when he plays he's brilliant. I like um, But but other than that. I think that um, I think that Timo Puki could be really interesting for Norwich. Um, I, I, I absolutely agree that we need someone who can create their own chances. I absolutely agree we could be doing some pace that can run in behind, but we also tend to, to pen the opposition back a lot. Um, we put a lot of crosses into the box, and that's why I think Billy Sharp has stayed around the team because there has been times when he's been effective as a, as a sniffer in the box. And I think Pookie can do a little bit more movement outside of the box. He, he, he likes receiving through balls. Um, and I think with with Berg and Lundstrom, we, we do tend to like playing those uh, a little bit more directly. I think he could suit playing up top with someone like McBurney, who, who's obviously a little bit more of a, a link man and a target man. So I, I think Pookie could be interesting. He's a natural finisher. Um, he's someone I'd be looking at. Outside of that, I think you've already said Watkins. And then the only other one that I think could be remotely interesting in terms of that is probably the loan would be Rian Brewster on loan. Yeah, that's a good shout, yeah. 
you know, Brewster can do the running behind. He's a penalty box striker, but he can link as well. And I think he's proven at Swansea, who are probably a little bit more possession-based than what the Blades are in the Premier League. But Brewster's got a little bit of an edge to him as well. Um, and I really like him. Probably one... Again, I agree with you, Andy. You could look at foreign players. You could look at Diallo at Mets. Uh, and I'm sure that the scouting network at Sheffield United are looking at these players, but they will probably stick to domestic-based, um, especially with the current situation. And maybe one left-field option would be someone like Tyrese Campbell at Stoke. I was looking at Tyrese, yeah. That's, that's a good shout there. I think he's a really good young player, yeah. He's obviously not got the record. Um, and I, I don't think a young by will be Sheffield United's preferred go-to this summer. They'll, they'll want some kind of proven record at whatever level, but... You know, Tyrese is extremely quick. He, he's sharp around the edges. Um, he, he's quite good at link play. He's quite good at hold up. And Michael O'Neill's got a lot out of him in terms of work rate as well. So he, he could be an interesting one. Um, but for me, it would it would be it would be a Watkins, a Tony, or, or maybe someone a little bit more left field, like a, like a Pookie, um, or, or maybe even like a, a low move for someone like Andre Gray as Watford go down. That's a good shout as well. What about say Josh Madger? Yeah, love loved Josh Madger. Um, I, I just wonder that I, I don't think he's leaving Bordeaux on a loan um, and I don't think that, that they would be asking for something that we could pay this summer. Um, I, I think that's why Watkins is probably out of it as well. But yeah, absolutely, Josh Madger is, is someone. I mean, if, if you're saying budget, you know, not a problem, then go and get me Ed, Odson Edward, please. Well, exactly, there you go. Yeah, that's a good show as well. Yeah, exactly. Because you look at Dembele's transition to Lyon in, in France, it's been seamless. Um, and I just think he's a really good player. So, Absolutely, someone like that. But you know, when you put a, a slight bit of budget con- constraint on, if you're saying Watkins might be a little bit too much alone, I, I think the names we've mentioned are all absolutely fair. Let me just before we end, sell you on this name, Jay Chenk Tosin. How does that sound in a bleached uniform? Um, uh, can I have Sean Bean please out of when Saturday comes? <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, I think that's the same age roughly now. So, yeah, exactly. That's fair enough. Right, anyway, we'll end it there. Just We'll just plug a few things, obviously. Uh, guys, what are your Twitter handles? Um, my, my Twitter handle is quite strange. So just just search for Gerhard Struber Burner and you will find my account. As you do. <laughs> because that's not true. <laughs> Jay? Um, <laughs> how do you follow that? Yeah, how do you follow that? Uh, analytic. Uh, for anyone who doesn't know, Ram is a a diehard Gerhard Schuberstan, um, the Barnsley manager. Um, he's been he's been one since day one. Um, so I'll give him his credit on that one. Almost as excellent the business as well. Anyway, moving on from that, yeah. So I'm at L Pavotti. L it's E L P I V O T E F T L on Twitter. But, you know, some Everton stuff, obviously, mostly. I, don't, I can't post about players anymore, but I've still got my blog from a couple of years ago in the background. Some interesting players on that. Uh, obviously, the guys have also wrote blog pieces, obviously. And also, that leads me to our wonderful website, marketinsights.com, where we do have a lot of blogs from people like Tim Keach, obviously, who's stopped bunching, and others, Jay, and others. And also, uh, if the podcast, please subscribe and follow us on Twitter at Insight insights um, at insights on mrkt market and that's it for this week guys thank you very much and um, you know this could be called you know sell the shen toast and sheffield united podcast but it won't be called that's just gonna be called transfer special so look out for it guys Bye.